Welcome, everyone. This is Ancient Wisdom for Modern Seekers. And today is a very special day because we're celebrating Swami Vivekananda's birthday. And our very special guest is Swami Mahayogananda from the Vedanta Society of Southern California, the Hollywood Temple, where he's been a resident for many, many years. And um, this is a very significant day, right, Swamiji? Well, sure. I see you. I just saw your message. <laughs> Ask oh. <if> you're <laughs> Sorry. Significant day means because it's the birthday of a great world teacher. You mean in that yes. way? Yes. Yes. And actually, I think Swami Vivekananda has been, well, certainly very important in Vedanta, but for each of us personally, we may have a different reason why he's important. For me, that was my first introduction to Vedanta is through Swami Vivekananda's teachings. I had been in a class with Deepak Chopra and he mentioned about the four yoga paths, karma, jnana, bhakti. And I was like, I want to know more about this. And so, of course, those are the books I found. And those were the first books I read and just like mind blown. Okay, I love Vedanta. And I just kind of stuck with that path. How did it happen for you that you became acquainted with Swami Vivekananda? I personally came through Ramakrishna. Sri Ramakrishna was my entry to Vedanta. And then, well, if you want to know who was Sri Ramakrishna's sort of mouthpiece to the West, well, he is Swami Vivekananda. Actually, it didn't, I, I didn't really connect with Vivekananda until I read his life. That's, uh, th thanks for reminding me of that because, um, that is uh, somehow his life is amazing, and to, to it's not just a, te a fabulous teacher, but it's such an inspiring life. So that's what uh, drew me, I think, to Vivekananda more than his teachings is his life. Right. And now, of course, his teachings also so amazing. It's such a we trust his teachings because we see his life. I think so. Yeah, so let's start there. Like, here's this man who's very revered throughout the world. What was his childhood like? What was he like as a little kid? How did he grow up? Yeah, you know, I was thinking earlier today about, if I can backtrack just a little, that uh, his journey, because you made this about the journey of Swami Vivekananda, and we could see say that his journey was uh, from the absolute to the relative and forgetting all about who he was and then back to finding remembering who he was finding out who he was and that he has this mission and fulfilling his mission and then going back to the absolute uh, so from the absolute to the relative back to the absolute and actually that's the journey that we all make because we all come from, from the absolute, we all sparks of that infinite ocean of existence and bliss. And somehow we forget that we're actually one with the ocean of infinite joy. And we run around here looking for joy in all little things. And then uh, we start seeking in the right places and we start tasting some of that peace and joy that is our birthright, really. And uh, let me share with you the, which I think many of you may already know it, Swami Vivekananda's birth, uh, Sri Ramakrishna had a remarkable vision. This vision that he had about Swamiji, uh, he describes how once his mind was uh, going, rising higher in Samadhi and super consciousness. And what he's describing here is a little hard to understand because it's so unfamiliar to us, but he's saying that his mind was rising higher and higher through the realms of uh, the, the different uh, mystic realms or spiritual realms and even to the realm of the gods, the different deities. And then his mind crossed over into the realm of the undifferentiated infinite, mm. where even the gods cannot go there. The gods are far below somewhere and they can't go there. And uh, then in that realm, he sees a uh, 
seven sages seated in deep meditation. Seven, where are they? In, just on the border of the absolute, uh, seated in samadhi, in the deepest meditation, and he's looking at them. And then he describes how that infinite light that is the infinite reality, a, a piece breaks off, a little piece breaks off and forms a divine child. And that divine child comes up to one of those sages in meditation and clasps his little arms around his neck and calls his attention, hey, I'm going down, you have to come. Sage is meditating, he opens his eyes and looks at that divine child and you can see, uh, Sri Ramakrishna describes how the, that look of that sage is one of utter love and adoration. And he assents, yes, I, he assents to uh, going down also. And then Sri Ramakrishna describes how that uh, a portion of that meditating sage, like a light comes from him and goes down to the earth. And when he says, when I saw Narendra, I recognized him to be that sage. Mm -hmm. So, um, the vision he had, that's, <laughs> and then Sri Ramakrishna admitted at a, another time, who's the divine child? That's Ramakrishna. That was him, definitely, definitely. It yeah, they him. had an interesting relationship. And I mean, Vivekananda at that time, Narendra, before he met Ramakrishna, had a life before he met Ramakrishna, but he was still young when he met Ramakrishna, right? Wasn't he like college age or something? About 18. Yeah, but he was a, I mean, he was a brilliant student and he was a skeptic and he was like, I won't believe it until I see it. And he was trained in Western philosophy and widely read uh, and um, member of the Brahma Samaj, which was an iconoclastic, uh, or movement in Hinduism that championed the rights of widows and uh, caste and child marriage and kind of social ills, doing doing away with social ills and incorporating some elements maybe of, of Christian worship into their services. Uh, but their root texts were the Upanishads. And so he signed a pledge, as all Brahmas did, that I will not bow down to any deity, any, any god in any temple, because God is all-pervading and formless. So um, that's wrong to bow down to a, a, an image. And uh, then they, it was in class that they were reading uh, poetry describing the mystic absorption of one of the English poets. I, I don't remember who. But, and the professor happened to know of Ramakrishna. And he, he told the class, if you want to know what is this mystic absorption, go to the temple in, at Dakshineshwar. There's a man there named Ramakrishna who experiences that samadhi. And so that, that's apparently how Swami Vivekananda first heard of Ramakrishna and developed the desire to go see him and went to see him. And that first meeting, Sri Ramakrishna is like, where have you been? I've missed And Narendra's like, who the hell are you? you... <laughs> I, I live in Calcutta. What are you talking about? Oh, so, uh, that was their first meeting. Remarkable. And the first question that Swami Vivekananda asked of Ramakrishna, he had been asking, he, had, he was a seeker. He had been asking different people, have you seen God? Nobody could say they had seen God. We're all talking about God, but who has seen God? So he asked Devendranath Tagore, one of the founders of the Brahma Samaj, a great, uh, and the father of uh, Rabindranath Tagore. And uh, the, the, the uh, also considered a kind of a sage. And he told him, you have the eyes of a yogi. Mm -hmm. But he didn't, he, that's all he could say. When Swamiji asked Narendra, have you seen God? His reply was immediate and not qualified in any way. He said, yes, I see God more clearly, more intensely than I see you sitting in front of me. So there he got that confirmation. God can be seen. Here's a man who says he can see God. And then Ramakrishna went on to say, much more, I can show him to you. Mm -hmm. 
and that's the start of their uh, relationship, which was for quite some time a stormy relationship. Yeah, but then Vivekananda knew that he found his teacher. Yeah. Well, and you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he went away because um, he thought that he was mad. He always thought that for, for, for a number of years, he thought Sri Ramakrishna was actually crazy. You're having all these visions and they must be hallucinations and all of that stuff. But what kept him coming to Ramakrishna was his love. Mm. Love of Ramakrishna that he had for Narendranath and Narendra couldn't stay away from that love. So that's what kept him going back and fighting with Ramakrishna and disagreeing and challenging him and telling him, oh, all your visions are just hallucinations and all that. And especially his relationship with Divine Mother. As you know, the temple, Kali Temple, Dakshineshwar is a, is there's an image of Kali, which, who, which is a dark, dark mother, naked, standing on Shiva, with a garland of skulls around her neck and a sword and a severed head in one arm and, and of course, granting boons and blessings to her. Mm -hmm. But, um, and Sri Ramakrishna was going there and bowing down to that image and all of this. And what is all this nonsense? And Sri Ramakrishna said, I, and, and at the end, I had to accept her too. Mm. And, uh, he said, now I know that Ma Kali guides me in everything I do. Divine Mother guides me in everything I do. So it's interesting how he fought Mother Ka Sri Ramakrishna and the idea of Mother Kali for so long. And then uh, finally, he actually became utterly devoted and dedicated to Divine Mother. Yeah. And even when he challenged Ramakrishna and like goaded him, you know, on and asked him these questions after questions, Ramakrishna welcomed it, you know, and he was yeah. like happy to answer his questions. Like, good, go ahead, ask questions. We just had a talk in the um, the Sunday sermon at church where the topic was question everything. And that's what Vivekananda did to Ramakrishna. He questioned everything. He wanted to know, he wanted to understand. And that's how you do that is by asking questions. But at this time, I won't believe what you tell me until I know it for myself. So I experience it directly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at this time in his life, Vivekananda was struggling too, because after his father passed, tell that story. Like, how old was he when his father passed? And then they went from being kind of well off to being almost destitute. No, it's not that they went from kind of well off to almost destitute. They went from extremely well off to extremely destitute. I mean, it was a huge uh, difference. He, they, if you've seen the house, my God, the house, if you go to that house in Calcutta, which has been restored now to its original glory, it's a huge mansion. Wow. Uh, it's a glor beautiful building, a huge courtyard in the inside, marble tiles on the floor and, and uh, so many rooms. And it's, it's a really remarkable building. And so you, you can realize they were very well off. His father was extremely well to do. He was a very successful lawyer. Uh, and suddenly, as we all have to do, uh, he had to leave this world uh, suddenly by a heart attack. We may, get a, we may get more intimation of our departure. He didn't have any intimation. He hadn't made any provisions for the family. He earned very well and he spent very well. And he didn't think, well, he was still a young man. He didn't think about uh, making any provision. So they were suddenly thrown into dire poverty. They didn't have enough to eat. Oftentimes there was nothing to eat. Um, so uh, this really tested Narendra's faith in God. And for a while he seemed to be bordering on agnosticism or atheism, though couldn't really embrace atheism either. <laughs> but um, how to reconcile the idea of God with this kind of suffering that he had to go through. So we see, of course, because of that suffering, he and that experience of dire poverty had the, the tremendous compassion for, for poor people, for people who are suffering. He knew firsthand what it means not to have enough to eat. Uh, he would go, sometimes he would uh, come home and he wouldn't have eaten anything all day and he would lie to his mom. He would say, I've eaten. So there would be more food for the rest of the family. So uh, 
This went on for a long time. He was trying to find a job to support the family and nothing was working out. And then finally he went to Ramakrishna. He said, you got to do something for me. And he, you talk to Divine Mother and Ramakrishna says, I, I tell her all the time, but you don't accept her. So she doesn't listen to my prayers. I tell you what, you, Narendra, you go and you talk. Ask the mother to solve your financial difficulties. Today is a Tuesday. It's a very auspicious day for Divine Mother. Tonight, you go to the temple, she will hear your prayers. And somehow, Narendra got this faith that he's, that, that he's going to see Mother. And uh, you know the story, right? It's, it's such, a, such a thrilling story. So the night, night comes, and Ramakrishna called Narendra and said, okay, now go to the temple and ask Mother. And as Narendra is walking to the temple, he becomes intoxicated. And he starts to feel that he's going to behold the Divine Mother of the entire universe when he enters the temple. And he enters the temple, Divine Mother on the altar, but I don't think he sees a stone image. He sees the living image of the Mother. There's the living Mother of the whole universe there in the temple. And he falls down at her feet and, and bows, prostrates himself. And he's overcome with devotion and, and a kind of ecstasy. And he begs the mother to grant him more devotion, to grant him a uh, good mind so he can have good discernment, grant him renunciation and dispassion and purity of heart and all those things. He prays for all these spiritual qualities that are so necessary for us in spiritual life. And uh, after spending quite some time in bliss in the mother's temple, he comes back to Sri Ramakrishna and Sri Ramakrishna says, so did you ask her about the money, about your financial condition? Narendra forgot, yeah. I forgot all about it. <laughs> What's to be done? What? Couldn't you ask her? Go, go back. So Narendra goes back again. And again, he enters the temple and again, he finds himself face to face with the Divine Mother of the Universe and all his troubles, his financial difficulties, everything, he forgets everything. And he begs mother only for devotion and purity and renunciation, all these qualities. Goes back to Ramakrishna. And Ramakrishna asks, well, did you ask her? Again, Narendra is embarrassed. I, I, I completely forgot. What? Remember to say those few words? Now go, go back to the temple. So he goes back to the temple a third time. And then he finds himself in the presence of the mother. And he becomes so ashamed, he becomes overcome with shame that he is going to come to the Divine Mother of the Universe and ask for something so paltry as money, as financial help for his family. How paltry, it's like going to a king and asking him, can you give me some pumpkins? Mm -hmm. King's ready to give you uh, uh, piles of gold coins and jewelry and you're asking him for he couldn't ask the question. He says, no, mother, all I want is love, love, purity, renunciation. Ramakrishna says, now I understand it's all you're doing. <laughs> Ramakrishna said, well, what can I do? You couldn't tell them, you couldn't say anything to the mother, so what can I do? Uh, and uh, of course, Ramakrishna is thrilled. Uh, but um, finally, Narendra really twists Ramakrishna's arm and says, no, you have to do something. So finally, Ramakrishna grants the blessing all right, your family will not lack plain food and clothing. So at least they're not going to starve. They're not going to freeze to death. Uh, and that prayer was granted. That bless, that boon was fulfilled. So, uh, believed to. But this was a real turning point in his life. The, the turning point of being a skeptic and being a, um, uh, you know, questioning uh, the Divine Mother to realizing he had a direct experience of the Divine Mother. And this was uh, the, the, the uh, he spent the whole night awake in ecstasy singing one song over and over again, a song that Ramakrishna had taught him. Oh, Mother, this, thou art the savior of the It's a Bengali song, and he sang it over and over. That that was that. That's amazing. That's really something. Well, when 
Vivekananda went to live with Ramakrishna and everything. What was his relationship like with his family? Um, well, he had this feeling of responsibility as the oldest son to take to look after the family. So he was studying law. And he, he didn't actually live with Ramakrishna until Sri Ramakrishna became very sick and he was moved to uh, Kashipur, which is a suburb of Calcutta, and they were taking care of him there. And then Narendra moved in. But he was also still studying law because he was going to become a lawyer, he thought. <laughs> uh, though his, it, it, obviously it, things turned out differently. Yeah, uh, had other plans for him. Uh, but... Uh, he was the ring he was the ringleader he was the most mature the most spiritually mature most spiritually powerful really of all of the disciples and ramakrishna placed the charge of his other disciples in vivekananda's hands he said you look after these boys and he charged him with with doing something and uh it, you know he had this experience which he longed for so much of uh, a complete union he had he begged Sri Ramakrishna for it and he wanted it and he was meditating a lot at the same time as serving Ramakrishna all that and then he had that experience he had that experience of nirvikalpa samadhi which is a complete utter effacement of one's own existence in the infinite consciousness the infinite reality that we call Brahman uh, and when he, went, when he was coming down back to the consciousness of his body from that state he couldn't find his body. He only had his head. He could only find his head and he couldn't find his body yet. And he started shouting, hey, I can't find my body, help. So one of the disciples runs to Ramakrishna and says, hey, Narendra is in trouble. He can't find his body. And Ramakrishna says, oh, hey, let him let him sit like that for a while. He's bugged me long enough. <laughs> do you think that was the turning point then when he said, OK, I'll quit law school. I'll just do this full time or what what shifted? Uh, that calling to monastic life, it, it had come actually sometime around there. It's hard to pinpoint exactly, but gradually it became clear that he couldn't lead a worldly life. And he was actually planning to renounce the world before Ramakrishna had died. He couldn't take it anymore. His family troubles, everything. He was planning to just become a monk. And Sri Ramakrishna called him on it. He said, you, yes, I know you cannot live in this world like ordinary family person, but wait until I go. Don't leave before I do. Wow, uh, but that, I that part. Yeah, that's a very touching scene where he, he sings this song and uh, um, they both start weeping and everybody else around doesn't understand. The, the song is hinting at uh, the, the situation that Ramakrishna, he had come to see Ramakrishna to say goodbye. And Ramakrishna knows it and he, he sings this song and says, uh, uh, we're afraid to speak and yet we're afraid to keep still. And finally, he says, you know, you, you, I know you are not destined to lead a worldly life, but stay in the world until I leave it. Wow. That's very powerful. And, uh, but after that experience he had of the, the Supreme Union, Sri said, now you have tasted your mango. But you're not, <laughs> you're not going to get this again. Now the key is with me. And until you finish mother's work, going to remain with me. So we see in Swami Vivekananda that for the rest of his life, this kind of tension between on the one hand doing his work and on the other hand longing for that experience again, longing for that union which he was barred from having by Sri Ramakrishna himself or by the Divine Mother in order to do this work. We know if we, if we accept that vision he had of, uh, of the sage immersed in meditation, his true nature is is as a sage meditating. And so doing work was is, uh, the tremendous work he did that had to be hovering over. So he didn't remember who he was. And Sri Ramakrishna warned the other brothers, when he knows who he is, he will no longer stay in this world when he remembers. Mm. Yeah, and it seems like though, with all that Vivekananda accomplished in his short life, all of that, education and family life was preparation for what he needed to do. Yeah. That's, that's the case with all of us, really. Our whole lives are, are every, our, our whole life is a preparation for this very moment. 
and this yeah. very moment is the only moment we ever have and actually our whole life leading up to it is a preparation for it so yeah. if we can make the best use of it so what how did the whole plan come about that okay Vivekananda you're gonna go to the USA like how did that happen after Saddam Hussein left his body which was of course so traumatic um they the boys the young men gathered together in a monastery and uh, the other lay disciples would come there and one of the other disciples used to find Swami Vivekananda's pillow wet every morning, wet with tears. He was so missing his, his teacher. And yet he was the one to inspire them and hold them together in this monastic brotherhood. And then, uh, like the, the tradition of a wandering monk in India, Swami Vivekananda and most of the other disciples also for some time did that, where they're just depending on God. They're wandering from place to place. They have no possessions. He had, of course, they have the clothes they're wearing, maybe uh, an, a, a, an extra something, you know, an extra wrapper if it gets too cold, but oftentimes not much. They often have to bear a lot of cold, bear a lot of heat. Maybe they have shoes, maybe they don't even have shoes or slippers on their feet. And uh, Swami Vivekananda, of course, he carried a Bhagavad Gita and for some time also an imitation of Christ. We walked all over India, staying sometimes in the poorest huts of the farmers and beggars. And other times he also stayed in palaces when uh, local kings would find out about him and meet him and invite him to stay with them. So he stayed in all kinds of different places, traveled from the north to the south. And uh, he felt this calling to do something for the masses of India, the struggling masses of poor people who are just, just struggling. And in this, even today we find so many people still just struggling to make ends meet, just to get enough food on the table for their family. It, they're not able to do it. So what to do for them? So he felt this calling that uh, the monastic order is to be one dedicated to service of the divine in human beings. Uh, He called to America come. He, some of his disciples heard about the Parliament of Religions and suggested that he go and thought about it. And he wasn't sure. They even raised some money to send him. And he decided, no, he hasn't yet got the call. He hasn't yet got the direct command to go. So got that call, finally. What and, a big uh, call. I mean, that's like... That's such a change. I mean, from a guy who's just like walked around India, now he's going to get on a boat to a foreign country. He's luckily he spoke English, though. That was part of his studies, right? That was part of his preparation for all this. English was actually was probably better than most Americans. And uh, he studied Eng in the English medium. And uh, well, it, he so he got on a boat. That's right. You, you, there's he got the confirmation. Uh, also from Holy Mother, Sri Ramakrishna's spiritual consort, you can say. Uh, and uh, so he, he came to America and he, he went. And at first it was uh, it was a little rough going. He comes to the Parliament of Religions. He comes to the World Fair of Chicago and he's, he's too early. It's, the Parliament isn't for a few months. And he roams around and checks it out. And uh, he doesn't have money. I mean, I mean, he has some money, but it's going fast. America is expensive compared to India. And back, those, back in those days, it was also the case, uh, staying in a hotel and all of that. So he ends up going, he meets some lady who invites him to her place in Massachusetts. And he goes and he goes from, gradually he starts getting known. And Parliament of Religions is when he steps out onto the world stage. When he steps out onto that stage at the... Uh, opening session of the parliament. And he says, sisters and brothers of America, that life is no, he's no longer an anonymous monk tra traveling over the world. And do you know something so touching about him? That night he wept, uh, he, 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 he given this beautiful bed and he couldn't sleep in it. 
thinking of all the poor people of his uh, motherland. Mm. Also weeping that, uh, you know, he knows that his days of uh, an anonymity are over. Uh, world figure. And he really became that. He became uh, just he traveled all over this country, pouring the teachings of uh, really had a, had a lot of hard work just breaking the stranglehold of the doctrine of sin and hellfire um, and sort of conservative dogmatic religion, which was current then. Yeah. And in a way, it seems like, well, very much so that mother's hand Ramakrishna was very much watching out for him because that he was put in the right place at the right time so that he was taken care of you know um I mean I can imagine him being rejected and saying hey who's this homeless guy what is the heck you know and and, and being ostracized but no he was embraced you know he got to the right people who were able to introduce him and so that was very helpful. He was guided in that way. But on the other hand, also, he worked so hard, so tirelessly that, I mean, he, he was compelled to do this to, to the point of making himself sick through the whole thing. He worked so hard. He, he felt like he had to, that he very much took on that responsibility. Both, uh, and as far as being guided, it was literally, you know, there was a, he faced so much opposition, uh, there was an attempt made on his life. Um, he was uh, given some coffee after uh, a meal, and he was about to drink it, and he had a vision of Ramakrishna telling him, don't drink that. Mm. Wait, he put it down. Yeah. Talk about divine protection. That's right. Uh, but they, he showed up at the parliament and they say, oh, you need you need credentials. You, you don't have any credentials. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't know what to do. He goes to Boston. He meets Professor Wright of Harvard and Harvard, uh, he gets to know Swamiji says to ask that you need credentials is like asking the moon for its credentials to shine. You're, <laughs> so he, write, he writes the letter and he gets him in the parliament and all those things. So that's how uh, how everything unfolded uh, yeah. as, as if. Uh, but it's also interesting because there's this, this uh, you know, he, in New York, he was uh, taken up by high society and uh, the wealthy. And of course, they're the high, most educated and maybe the most receptive to his ideas. And, but then he realized, no, he has to, he, he has to teach and not just mix with these rich people. And so he's going to rent a room. And he's renting a room in a little cheaper part of town. It's not the best part of town. Maybe not the very worst part of town, but it's a kind of, uh, you know, it's downtown. It's not the greatest place. And everyone's saying, don't go there. Nobody will go there. Don't, don't, don't rent it there. And so I said, no, I, this is where I'm going to go. And he went there and the people came for all that, as he put it. <laughs> and anyway, and filled that little apartment and sitting on the stairway and sitting on the floor at every available spot. They filled there to, to, to get the, his teachings on where the, that's where he gave the, the teachings of the yogas. Yeah. Uh, in, in those quarters there and uh, where thanks to a young man named Hosiah Goodwin we can read them that I mean that in itself because back in the day there was no like recording equipment and Vivekananda did write a lot of letters though and we can learn about a lot about that time by the letters that he wrote and a lot of the times the letters he wrote were lessons right there, like a course right there you could make on the lessons. But so talk about that, about how his teachings, his um, lectures were recorded in that way so that we have a record of what he said. Well, this, the good, they needed a stenographer, someone who can take shorthand to write down Swamiji's. But even Swamiji, he, sp he could speak very quickly at times. And also, he would use a lot of terminology that people maybe were not familiar with. So they needed someone who had the smarts to pick up the terminology quick and be able to transcribe it. And so they found this uh, Goodwin, one Englishman who had moved to America, was living in America, and they hired him to be the stenographer. 
and I after one or two lectures, he said, I can't take any money for this. This is this is my service. This is my teacher. He so uh, he uh, did the, the rest of it. He st stuck by Swamiji's side uh, for the rest of their the time in America. I, he, I think he also went with him to England uh, to continue his work of stenography and accompanied him in India on his travels uh, when he first came back to India. And so we have those lectures also, the lectures from Colombo to Amora that Swamiji gave there. Wow. All right, we have course of teachings, which is the uh, writings, the, the, I mean, the, the written down classes and lectures. And we also have the letters and we have his life. So we have these three, these three sides of his, what he has for us. And I think the, 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 the teachings are so powerful and direct. You've studied them a lot. The letters, as you say, they give the personal side of Swami Vivekananda. Some of my favorites are the letters to his American sister, Mary Hale. The Hale family adopted Swamiji when he was in America. He was sitting on the stoop in front of a church in Chicago and, it, and looking very lost. He had come for the parliament, but he didn't know. And Mrs. Hale came out and said, are, are you, what's, uh, what are you doing here? And, uh, adopted him. And he became the, really, literally their son and this, a brother to the young women who were in the, in the family. And he could tell uh oh, I think you're frozen. Is anybody else seeing a frozen Swami here? Hmm. Let's see, how do we fix this? Uh, let's see. Let me text him and tell him he's frozen and see if he can like restart. Let's see, so he knows what's going on. And while we're waiting for him, mute, I just want mute, muted himself. No, he's frozen. So he something happened with the signal. So he signed off. Now he'll sign back on again and we'll hear him. But while we're waiting for him to sign back on, um, and let me just say that uh, I have a study group that meets um, and we go over different Vedic texts. And we read the letters of Swami Vivekananda from cover to cover. And it was amazing. And I liked it because uh, like Swami Mahayogananda said, it's very personal and who he's talking to. And you learn more about um, his life and what he went through. And, you know, that's how we knew that he was sick and he suffered and he worked so hard and he got tired. And, you know, yeah, he complains sometimes because he's in this human body, but he feels so um, compelled to really do this work of, you know, getting Ramakrishna's work out into the world and at the same time making it about vedanta not making it about ramakrishna so i highly recommend reading the letters of vivekananda i think there's so much to learn from that so many insights to get um and then also the the books on the four yogas that are a really good place to start too um, we were in the middle of reading the bhakti yoga class with Swami Sarvadevananda when COVID hit and the lockdown came and um, we got sidetracked. Hence, these online classes started. And our goal now is to just have a different class once a month um, with a different Swami to get a different perspective on another aspect of Vedanta. So if you guys have any ideas of topics you want covered, if you have any questions you want answered, put them in the chat or just send me an email and um, I can add it to our schedule because otherwise I'm just going to come up with whatever I want to talk about. So, <laughs> you know, might as well talk about what you want to talk about too. So does anybody have any questions right now or any um you know, it'd be interesting to hear how you found out about Vedanta, how you found out about Swami Vivekananda. 
you can either write it in the chat or you can raise your hand or you can just um, unmute yourself and speak up. I think Swami Vivekananda is too well known uh, for at least Indians of my generation. So I've known about him all our lives. Yeah. Yeah, see, for me, um, I learned about him later in life. And I'm so, I was so, after I found out how amazing he was, I was surprised more Americans didn't know about him. But then when I went to India this last trip and got to go to Calcutta and Bellarmont, oh, there's statues of him and pictures of him. And he's everywhere. He's like the biggest celebrity ever. So yeah, I could see where um, people from India how could you not know about him? It'd be like not knowing about Elvis, you know, somebody like that. So I found out about him. First of all, it's really nice to see you, Swami. Uh, really, really nice to see you. Anyway, but second of all, I found out about him through religious science. We studied him in the religions and how he swept America uh, with his charismatic uh, wisdom. Mm. beingness yeah at the at the international uh religion conference yeah oh the at the world's religion the conference the world's parliament of world's religions oh yeah, he's back you. swami's back yay <laughs> back for a little while <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> your avatar went into samadhi and you're back in the real world with us either the, the material world with us temporarily, the Zoom world with us. So you were talking about Mrs. Hale adopting him. And then also the family um, in California too, right? Wait, now I can't hear you. Still can't hear you, no audio. Oh, maybe you have your audio set it on the music version. Still not hearing you. Can you unmute him? He's unmuted already. Oh. Check, check, check. There you are. Okay. okay good. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. okay. Well, um, all right, Pasadena. He was a, yes. he you know, you were talking about, about his work and all of that, but it's interesting because uh that I, I just went to the in my mind to a letter he wrote to Mary Hale where he says, I don't have a work. Hmm. I have a message. I, I let me read that little passage to you. Great. You are mistaken utterly mistaken if you think i have a work as mrs bull thinks i have no work under or beyond the sun i have a message and i will give it after my own fashion i will neither hinduize my message nor christianize it nor make it any eyes in the world i will only my eyes it and that is all liberty mukti is all my religion and everything that tries to curb it I will avoid by fight or flight. This is a scolding letter because uh, he had gotten into a big fight with a, a very narrow-minded Christian minister and uh, apparently devolved into shouting and that kind of thing. And so Mary was telling him, you, uh, you ought to be a little more gentle with these people. And he, <laughs> this was his letter saying, heck no, I, I, have a, I don't have a work I, because it will injure your work was the thing. If, you, if you're rude to people like that, it'll injure your work. And he said, I don't have a work. All I have is a message and I have to give it. And I don't have any time to make my, to give a polish to my manners and all that. I have to give my message. I don't have much time. He knew he wasn't going to live till 40. So he, he had to get his message out. And uh, that's what he did. And of course, the California trip was a uh, second visit. In, he'd, he'd done the whole thing. He'd, he'd given his message. He went back to India, he gave his message to India, 
he got his monastic order established, he got his headquarters established, and then he came back to America. And it was different because this time he had already given his message. He had already gotten his monastic work order started. He had set the wheel rolling. He had a certain peace about him. There wasn't that urgency that I've got to get out my message. He'd gotten his message out and he was in a, if anything, a more exalted state of mind. Uh, and he took it easy. He spent nine weeks in Regional Manor. He had spent almost six weeks in South Pasadena. And yes, giving talks and all of that, but dwelling always in this exalted state, even if he wouldn't let on too often in this exalted state of consciousness where he could say, and I love quoting this one, when he went to Alameda, you know, in Northern California and uh, one of his disciples said, Mr. Allen said, so Swamiji, I see you are in Alameda. And he answered, no, Mr. Allen, I am not in Alameda. Alameda is in me. <laughs> that universal identification with the universal, everything arises in that consciousness, which is who I am. Yeah. So why though California? Because like he, he came here and he, he was in Southern California, Northern California for quite a while. Why do you think he came here specifically? Of all the places he could be uh -oh. in the US. Can't hear you. What happened? I can, okay, of all the, can you hear me now? Cause now it looks like you're frozen again. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Are, are we like, uh, I think, I think we're okay. Okay, so of, of all the places he could be in the United States, why California? What was the, what drew him to California? Well, uh, Josephine McLeod was with them in Ridgely Manor in New York. And they were having this glorious summer of just basking in Swamiji's presence. And uh, he was uh, convalescing, actually, after uh, the, two, uh, the time in India, the two years in India. So he, uh, uh, her brother, turns out her brother was on his deathbed. He was dying in, in California. And so she needed to go out to see him. So she left. And, and uh, as she was leaving, Swamiji called out after her, get up some classes and I will come. And he called it California, <laughs> not California, California. Uh, so Josephine McLeod goes out to uh, Los Angeles. She comes to the home of a Mrs. Blodgett where her brother is staying. And uh, she, the, the, the lady of the house says uh, she's looking after her brother and Josephine McLeod says to her, oh, my brother is dying. And she says, yes. And then she says, can he die here? And she says, yes. So that part is fixed. And then uh, what does she see? Her brother's lying there in bed. And what is over the bed? A poster of Swami Vivekananda at the Partner of Religions. Wow. So Josephine McLeod says, what do you know about that man? And Mrs. Blodgett says, I know him. I, I met him. at the. I saw him at the Parliament of Religions. If there was ever, you know, she just, she's the one who said after his, uh, one of his addresses, he, uh, she says, hordes of women were crawling over the, over the pews to get to him. And she said, my lad, if you can, if you can withstand that onslaught, you are indeed a God. <laughs> wow. So, uh, that's Mrs. Blodgett's. And so then, um, Tantin, Josephine McLeod says, I know him. And Mrs. Blodge said, you know him? Yes, I know him. You know him? Yes, I know him. If you invite him, he'll come stay with you. So that's what happened. So that's how he ended up in California. Started out in Mrs. Blodgett's house. And then he went to the Mead sisters in Pasadena. And uh, then he went to Northern California with one of the Mead sisters. And uh, they camped up there in Camp Taylor also. And then they came, he, then he came back to Chicago, New York, uh, finally to Europe and then back to India. That's amazing. And now the Pasadena house is part of the Vedanta Society of Southern California. And tell this story about how the Hollywood Temple got to be the Hollywood Temple. Because Viv was Vivekananda ever there? No, but uh, how it happened is um, uh, Swami Prabhavananda, who founded the center, he was in Portland. He started out in San Francisco and then he went to Portland. He started the Vedanta Society in Portland. And then he got, I'm not sure if he got invited, he was invited 
uh, the, you know, the house where our green house, we call it greenhouse where the bookshop is. That was Carrie Mead Wyckoff's house. Mead, Carrie Mead Wyckoff. She was one of the Mead sisters who lived with Swami Vivekananda in South Pasadena. And she invited Swami Prabhupada to come to her home and give some talks. And so he came and stayed with her in that building. And gradually, it, it fairly quickly, actually, it became the Avedant Society. They realized that this is happening. There's a lot of interest. There's a lot of people who are having talks. And uh, so Avedant Society was started. And he came in 1929, end of 1929. By 1938, the temple was built. So it was uh, pretty quick, if you think about it, in just uh, nine years, eight years, really, they built a temple and um, people started coming, uh, also Americans, to join uh, as monastics. And so Vedanta Society got its start. Right. Really, this Swami Vivekananda laid the seed, planted the seeds for the Vedanta Society in South Pasadena. Yeah, that's amazing how, how it all comes together. Um, one other important person in Swami Vivekananda's journey was who we know as Sister Nivedita. And she wasn't American, she was Irish, right? How did that relationship happen and how was she so important in his life? Well, she, uh, she was searching and uh, she, she was in England school, in education. I think she, was, uh, she had started a school and was involved in young children's education. And uh, they were having parlor talks. You know, there was no TV or radio in those days. So people would have these parlor talks and gatherings and discussions and uh, lectures and all that kind of thing. And so she came to a parlor talk and Swami Vivekananda was there. And uh, um, something happened. You know, she recognized, here's my teacher. It didn't take long for her to recognize that Swami Vivekananda was my teacher. And she decided she wanted to go back to India with him and serve in India. And uh, so she, she did. And she had lots of intimate time with Vivekananda and she really absorbed his message. So one of the most, for me, most inspiring ways of getting a glimpse of Vivekananda and his message is by reading Sister Nivedita's reminiscences of him. She wrote, it's not a biography exactly, it's the, she calls her book, The Master As I Saw Him. And it's a very personal account of Sister Nivedita and her relationship with Swami Vivekananda or, or how she saw him. But she's such a gifted writer. Uh, so she um, has really helped. A and I personally love all her works. I've gone through most of her work. She was a prolific writer. And because partly, I think, because she was a Westerner who lived in India and really understood the Indian experience uh, and could translate it for a Western mind. So I, uh, um, I do recommend her works. If you can get beyond the Victorian English, I like her English style, but it is kind of, uh, her sentences sometimes are long and meandering. And when you finally parse them out and figure out what she's saying, you realize that, wow, what a beautiful thought. You couldn't, you couldn't say that any other way. If you simplified the sentences, you wouldn't have, it wouldn't have the re richness and subtlety of the, what, what she's saying, the nuances would be lost. So yeah. she's a very nuanced writer. And, uh, um, and she, she became she very, um, Holy Mother loved her very much too. She became she was very close to Holy Mother. She started uh, educational work for girls in India. The girls were far, be, far behind boys in education. A lot of times girls would just get a, a smattering of education and then get married off and then be drudges in the kitchen for the rest of their lives. So uh, she, Swami Vivekananda, very much wanted that women should also get education. And so she was part of that, started the Sister Nivedita the School, which is still in existence. And uh, she also worked for the independence of India. And she was a major force in the independence movement, so much so that she had to uh, distance herself from our monastic order because our monastic order was av av avowedly non-political. And we didn't take sides in the uh, in the uh, revolutionary movement in India against the British to throw the British out. Though all the re revolutionaries had copies of Swami Vivekananda's lectures from Kalamo to Almore in their pockets <laughs> or in their yeah. in their bags, so our order faced a lot of scrutiny from the British. But uh, they couldn't find any direct link. We were not doing any. We were not involved in politics at all, and right. that was 
a conscious decision that our work was to be entirely on spiritual level. Right. But uh, she did play a, a, an important role in that movement. And she played an important role also in the Renaissance in art and music in Bengal of that time. So she was a, a after a song. Of course, definitely a force. Yeah. So, okay, so fast forwarding after Vivekananda has made two trips now to the US, he's back in India and he's, he kind of figured out he did all he needed to do or he, he passed at a very young age, but it, he actually kind of, well, I don't know how I describe it, but like chose his departure date and he chose July 4th because that represents freedom in America. And he felt so close to America at that point from spending so much time there. And he always talked about liberation and freedom as the goal of life. So talk about that and how did the movement continue without Vivekananda? Uh, it's, it, it's kind of heartbreaking that he left so soon. He was only 39. How much more he could have done uh on the one hand his body his health was broken down really was broken down he had really driven his body so hard but um he, all he gave so many hints he had to he'd say that the tall tree has to go for the young trees to grow up into the sunlight um and uh so so many hints he gave to ears that were not ready to hear it and uh Sister Niveritas is so touching, it's kind of heart-wrenching to read how uh, on the last Ekadashi, the last the fasting day before um, uh, he, uh, he left the body. Uh, she, so she had a simple meal. Uh, he served her a simple meal uh, to break her fast. And um, afterwards, he, wa he washed her hands and uh, she said, Swamiji, it is I who should be doing these things for you. And Swamiji said, Jesus washed the feet of his, of his disciples. And what flashed in Nivedita's mind was, but that was the last time. But she didn't say it. And she said that was well, because here too, the last time had come. But they were not ready to see it. They were not ready to see all those hints he gave. Uh, so that final day, July 4th, yeah, he, he did look at the almanac and looked at a few days. And, and after seeing a few days, he set it away and clearly he had made his choice. What a day he had. That day was unlike other days. He went into the shrine, the um, chapel of the monastery, and he closed all the doors and windows and locked himself inside for two hours. Spent two hours in there. We don't know what he was doing. When he came out, he was singing the song, uh, a song uh, to Divine Mother Kali. And the song is, expresses the idea that, uh, um, is my mother Kali really black? People say she is black, but I, I don't believe so. She is the one that lights the lotus of the heart. And the, the closing line of the song is uh, trying, it, it, the, the author of the song writes, um, trying to understand who Mother Kali is. Kamala Kanta has simply become mad. So that's the closing line of that song that he was singing as he came out of the shrine. Then that day he had a very active day. He gave a Sanskrit class. Uh, he had a long walk with one of his brothers and a big discussion about all the things to be done, all the things going forward. And then he went uh, to his room and he had an attendant and he said, uh, uh, he lay down and the attendant fanned him for a while. And then he said, okay, now go meditate and wait until I call you. And so the attendant withdrew to the other room. And after some time, he heard a kind of a gentle cry or something, and he came in and Swamiji was gone, left his body behind. So uh, that was the- What a life. Way he, the way he kicked off. <laughs> and he, he did more in those 39 years than you know many people do in dozens of lifetimes. Right, right, right. Yes. It's amazing. It's amazing. He left us many gifts. And today was not actually his birthday is January twelfth, according to the Western calendar. In our in our uh, Vedanta calendar, we 
go by the lunar count. It's a lunar solar calendar. So depending on the phase of the moon, that was his actual birthday. It's called a titi. It's, a, it's the, the lunar, the day of the lunar month, as it were. And so that's actually this year, not today, but on Tuesday. Uh, but we do it on the nearest Sunday. So that's why today we celebrated Swami Vikanan's birthday. And that's why I have a big black mark on my forehead because uh, we had a fire service also, a fire ceremony. And at the end of that, we take the ashes from the fire and we grind them up with a little uh, clarified butter. And we everybody gets a mark on their forehead to signify that they've nice. got the, attended the service or something. And get nice. The <laughs> That's really nice. And then at uh, 5.15, if anybody wants to tune in to youtube.com slash Vedanta org, you'll hear the talks by Swami Sarvadevananda and Swami Satyamayananda. You've met both of them in this class too. They're amazing. And they're going to be speaking about Vivekananda. You might hear more of these stories about him. But Swami, I know you got to get back to your duties. Thank you so much for being here with all of us. As always, we're so grateful and we appreciate your wisdom and knowledge so much. Thank you, Parama. I don't have... I don't know that I have much wisdom and knowledge, but I love to share stories of Swami Vivekananda, that's for sure. And thank you for inviting me and asking me lots of good questions, bringing out some of these inspiring stories that uh, a joy to share with you. And I think most of you probably know know these stories, and yet we love to tell them because they are so meaningful to us. And yeah. And we learn more each time and it's like it's like hearing stories about family it makes you feel the love in your heart for all these people wonderful thank you so much and thank you everyone for being here thanks we'll thanks <laughs> we'll be back keep an eye on your email i'll let you know take care, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.